0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages till the winter is coming, Game of Thrones podcast. This is Take the Black, and I'm your host Razor, and I'm here with Corey Smith and Corey Thone. Isis is not with us tonight, but we will sally forth without her, that's okay, we miss her. We'll be back next time. Tonight we're going to talk about a couple of awesome filming tidbits, and then we're going to get into the episode that you, the fans, chose for us to re-watch and review, which is Season 5, Episode 8, Hard Home. So, before we get into that episode, let's dig right into the massive news, the huge news coming out of uh, Seville, Spain. Um, Corey Smith, lead us in with everybody who's there. I know you've got a little handy.
1: Yeah, well, and just to just so everybody's clear, the Seville in itself isn't important, but um, I, Italica, the the ruins of the Roman Roman town of Italica, sit right outside Seville, where the Dragon that, Pit
0: was filmed last season.
1: Right, where they filmed the Dragon Pit. So that's what makes this uh, important. They, obviously, they're all there to film something at the Dragon Pit. So as for who's there, it's. A massive list, um, headlined by Kit Harington, who just recently showed up um, yesterday, and then it goes. You've got, and I'm just going to name the characters, not the the actors. But you got Bran Stark, you got Sansa, Arya, you got Davos. Uh, let's see, Um, Varys. Grey Worm, um, Yard Greyjoy, Sam Tarly, Cersei, uh, Tyrion, uh, Jaime, Brienne, Gendry, uh, the Night King, um, <laughs> Robin Aaron from the Vale, and then you had a couple, um, you had showrunners, Benny and, and Weiss there, but then you also had a couple people, um, like the Night King, I guess we could put them in this category, um, the Night King, um, Jack and Hagar it was, was seen, um, uh, as well as the Waif, um, who Arya killed. So, uh, we're kind of on the fence here. We, we don't know if these people are actually there because their characters are there, or if Benioff and Weiss are trying to pull a giant fast one on everybody. So, and this is from the same,
0: this is the same guys who brought in, um, the character, the, the actress who played Shay for filming of season six or yeah, season six. So
1: season six and didn't just bring her in. She was, she, she was, was on dressed. set in costume. Right, right. So, I, I mean, I'm of two trains of thought on this. So you've, you, you could bring in these people and if you bring in enough people, you can camouflage who is actually filming. You know, if you bring the entire cast there, um, you, You don't know who is actually on the set filming. If you just brought in, say, five or six cast members, we would know, okay, those are the people filming. But if you bring in everybody, we don't know who's filming and who's not. Um, And none of them are are trying to hide that they're there. Yeah, because we also
0: saw Gilly... And uh, did you mention the Stark sister? You mentioned Arya and Sansa. Right? Arya
1: and Sansa were there. They so, went to a soccer game. Right. Uh, and took Jacken posed and took pictures with with a crowd of fans. So you know it makes sense from that point.
0: Well, um, Corey Thone, if you're looking at this from uh, just just from an outside point of view, you see all these actors from the show, people who you saw die in past seasons, show up. For one big gigantic thing, what what are your what are you thinking about it? Is it like a maybe like a farewell party? You know, we know it's a wrap party. It's a wrap party. Okay, so that's what you were thinking. That's your thought. Yeah,
2: and I and I think it's it's a fair. I mean, they might be filming there too, but I think it's kind of like um, like like Corey was saying, you can cover up who is there filming with people who are like, oh my god, why are they there? Like that kind of stuff. Right. So right. Yeah.
0: Because what you can do, while there are important people there, there's also people, the list of people who aren't there, like Amelia Clark, who's off doing a solo Star Wars story um, premieres everywhere, and uh, I, I've got a list here of people who aren't there, which is like um, Bronze not there. Jeremy Flynn, so.
1: The Greyjoys. The,
0: the Greyjoys. The Mount, well, Yar is the there. Yar is there, but Theon's not. Uh, right. Massande's not there. Kyburn's uh, not there. Uh, the Mountain, the Hound, Podrick, Tormund, Barrick. Now, uh, we've got Gilly as not being in there, but I thought the initial photos we saw was uh, somebody who reminded us of Gilly. Um, but I guess maybe. We don't know if that's Gilly or not. And then uh, Melisandre's not there either, or Euron. Euron's the other great jewel you were talking about. So there's a lot of people who aren't there. Um, and I think it's fun that they had the Waif and uh, and come come in, along with the Night King. Because you only ever see the Night King in full makeup, and he only films his scenes uh, in, in at, at Titanic Studios uh, behind a green screen. So... I can't imagine why, it, other than a rap party or they're trying to troll us, is why they'd be there. So, uh, anyway, Seville's a hotbed of actors right now. I mean, they're everywhere, all over the place, coming and going. Um, obviously still filming uh, scenes for the Dragon Pit. The, the The next big piece of filming news we're going to get into before we start our recap of Hard Home is um, the, the set that's standing in for King's Landing in Belfast. At Titanic Studios, the King's Landing set went through some
1: massive changes over the weekend, right, Corey? Yeah, this is, and to remind everybody, this is that the largest practical set that they've built. They've basically recreated large sections of King's Landing, and they plan on leaving it standing afterwards for tourists to kind of, you know, stroll through because it's huge. It's a couple blocks of buildings. So, anyways, over the weekend, they, you know, the main feature of this was basically a, a gate, you know, guarded by two towers. And they, we'd seen archers on the towers. We'd seen, you know, all kinds of fortifications. And over the weekend, basically those towers were, they looked like they got hit by a bomb. Um, the, the towers were exploded. The woods all splintered. Um, the platforms that were on top of the towers are gone. Good Lord. <laughs> and then, sorry, excuse me. And then we also saw, um, we got footage of a large, like a plume of fire um, that was being filmed against the, they directed a green screen there as well. Um, so, yeah, it went, some, it went under some huge things. Not to mention, um, they had Lannister banners all over this set um, as of last week. And this week, all the banners are gone. And, I mean, yeah, they could have just taken them down because you're lighting shit on fire and maybe you don't want to add, you know, kindling to it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty big sign as well.
0: Yeah, we're not saying dragons did this damage, but we're also not not saying dragons did this. So, there's a lot. I, I, think, I think it's obvious that um, this is an attack from Daenerys' dragons or the Night King's dragon. Viserion. Um If this is the last uh, stand for humanity, if this is where everybody falls back to, then I could see King's Landing taking a lot of damage. And I remember when they were uh, building this set up, those walls were actually built with destruction in mind. I remember the towers having pieces of chunks of them missing, and then and then a week later they were they were filled out. And I remember Dan writing something about it, saying. It's clear that you know it, they're they're going to that these walls will be damaged later. So um, it's kind of cool to see that happen. Uh, it's also kind of cool to think that while they're in in Spain filming scenes for the Dragon Pit, they're also doing the damage to King's Landing in Belfast, kind of uh, simultaneously, which is kind of neat. But that's there's a lot there's a lot of stuff still going on for season eight filming which we think will be wrapped in June at some point. Um, we believe uh, Sophie Turner filmed her last scene today. She took to Twitter and said her heart was broken, but that it was a good experience. She didn't come out and say it was her last day filming, but you put two and two together, and you can you can pretty much come to that, that uh, conclusion. Maybe uh,
2: she watched Infinity Wars. Ma-
0: <laughs> I don't want to go, Lady Stark. Anyway, um Let's go right into what we want to talk about tonight, and that is Take the Black Reviews. That's what we're going to call it, Take the Black Reviews. That's an awful name, and we can come up with a better name later, but we're going to watch from now until Season 8 starts, we're going to be watching randomly selected episodes uh, selected by you, the viewers. Every, um, every other week, I'll be posting this article with, with a podcast, and then I'll run... In the comments, let you guys choose a choose an episode. We'll then have a poll where you'll vote. and the And this week's winner was Hard Home. So, um, guys, before before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, I just want to say, as I watched Hard Home today, I I appreciated it way more today than I did viewing it the first time. And I've watched, I've rewatched the season. Season 5 was not my favorite season. We, we, we all know that. We've talked about it several times. But, so I've only rewatched Season 5 once. And as I watched Hard Home, knowing that following this in, in Season 6, we've got Battle of Bastards, we've got, uh, we've got in Season 7, the Loot Train Battle, we've got many other encounters with the Whites and the Night King and the White Walkers. This was, there was a lot of subtle nuance and buildup to get to the actual hard home battle uh Corey Thone, I know that you took some notes what what stood out to you right at the beginning of the episode as you watched it
2: well you know the episode starts with uh self-hating tyrion and self-hating jorah <laughs> talking to
0: which was <laughs> a great scene. Danny.
2: yeah it was it was it was a great scene. knowing where you know we end up with these characters and everything it was it was interesting to go back cuz i haven't really Rewatch the series at all? Uh, I know you guys have, but I never have. So, yeah, it was interesting seeing, you know the the way the characters got to know each other, which happens a little further on with Tyrion and and Danny at the, excuse me, at the table drinking wine or whatever. The whole wheel speech. uh, Yeah, the wheel speech. Yeah, which was you know used in all the trailers and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was a it was a great scene where. You know, you saw Tyrion kind of display the kind of ruling that he would like to see from Danny. Like, he's advising her, but by saying, like, he's showing her, like, showing mercy is admirable. You shouldn't kill him. And then giving her reasons not to kill him. But, I don't know, it was was a good scene.
0: I like how, uh, and I completely forgot this happened, I like how she said, so why should I take you into my service? And he's like whoa 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 i haven't chosen you yet (laughs) i said you know we don't get i think the Tyrion we have in season seven is i don't want to say he's defeated because he's seen he's seen daenerys do a lot of things like burning with her dragons now especially after the loot train battle and and especially the look he gives in the season seven finale but in season five when he first meets her we we've got a Tyrion who's traveled, who's been kidnapped by Jorah. He was drunk the entire time. He's a sarcastic asshole, and I liked I liked that version of Tyrion. Corey Smith, how did you feel about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was kind of nice to see him. He does flash that little attitude to to Danny, like, "Hey, we just met. Uh, you know what makes you think that I want to go into your service?" Right, and. and And I liked their interactions throughout the episode, and I think it got even better in season six. Um, But, yeah, it was definitely nice, especially when they sat, and it was just the two of them talking uh, later on in the episode. Because, you know, Tyrion is, he's not in chains, but he's definitely there pleading for his life, basically. Mm -hmm. He's arguing for himself. And when Danny finally says she's not going to have him executed, you can hear the the relief um, in his voice when he when he's like no, like he's you know <laughs> he, he wants to he's trying to pretend he didn't he wasn't worried, but he he really was. So, and and it was also kind of I thought interesting to see them kind of foreshadow Danny's you know trip to Westeros when when uh Tyrion starts ticking off all the potential allies, right? Right,
0: right, right. And he's and and he, it, he talks about House Tyrell being the only real house that she might be able might, to depend, might be able to depend on.
1: Right. And it doesn't mention the Dornish, um basically says the Starks are completely gone and at that point they were mm-hmm. because uh, you know, Jon was still part of the Night's Watch. Bran is completely missing. Sansa, nobody knew where Sansa was. The Boltons rule Winterfell, right? The Boltons are ruling Winterfell. So, I mean, he had he had quite a point. But then, if you the the flip side is the Starks end up allying with, uh, you know, the Targaryens with with Danning later on, you know, via Jon. Yeah, so, yeah, they do. And, and also, you, uh,
2: you you forgot the line this is in my notes, where Tyrion says uh, the Targaryens are gone, no one with your blood is here to support you.
1: Yeah, that's a great line. Which is a great line,
2: you know, now that we know what we know.
1: Yeah, that did strike me when I was watching last night, because it definitely has, that whole conversation just had a lot of foreshadowing to me, I thought.
2: Well, you also have, um... hang on, before before we get, we're bad about doing this, before we get ahead of ourselves, let's you know the the opening scene, she kicks Jorah out, and this is is this the first time that we're seeing the grayscale? It's the second ex- time. Second time, like on his arm. Okay, so yeah. I yeah, I knew it, it had to be right early. In that
1: comes process. out of the water.
2: Yeah, okay. I knew yeah. it had to be early in that process, so we're seeing it like like expanding on his arm and stuff. So okay.
0: Yeah, he hadn't gone full it from uh, Final Four, Final uh, Fantastic Four. I almost said Final Four. So I blew All that right. joke. So fuck me. Anyway, um. He, he hadn't gone full stone man yet. Uh, yeah, but yeah, you also see the dedication on, on George. Like, he's really hurt. At first, he's, he's, he's all in, you know, righteously indignant. He stands there like, I brought you a gift. And then he begs her to let him stay. And you, for, for a minute there, you see hope on his face because Tyrion's like, this man loves you. He's dedicated to you. I think that, you know, blah, you know, I think, he would do anything for you, but you can't have him around when you go to the Seven Kingdoms. You have to banish him, and so it goes from elation to com- complete and total depression. And you have to appreciate the fact that he goes back to the slaver and says, "If I win and I fight, let me fight for her." That's you know, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool scene. He goes back to the same guy who sold him. So, um, man, God. Our friend zone is really fucking dedicated, you guys.
2: Like well, I, that's, that's what's funny about that scene, and then the one following with Danny and Tyrion is that Tyrion had been looking to die, right? Like yeah. he had given up on the world, whereas Jorah had found a reason to live in Danny, and then their roles basically switch in that scene. That's where point, Tyrion yeah. kind of finds a reason to stay alive to support Danny and Jorah, not having Danny anymore, you know. Now, granted, he goes to the fighting pit. is like I want to fight in front of the queen or whatever. But he now, he knows he he could die, and he's okay with it. So, uh, or he knows he is dying. Actually, he's got grayscale, so he's going right. to die anyway. So, like he, his only purpose in life, I guess, is to get back to her for whatever amount of time he can. So, yeah, it was a pretty interesting scene. Because also skipping ahead to the them drinking wine before the break the will speech when she's like I'm not gonna kill you you see a look on Tyrion's face he's kind of like ah, okay fine like it's <laughs> like he's whatever you know yeah. like, he kind of expected to die and the fact that he didn't it's like oh well now I gotta plan ahead a little bit I guess but anyway <laughs> so,
0: you're you're right and that's the moment that Tyrion starts to invest who he is like being the hand of the king for Joffrey starts to invest who he is into danny's cause smith you have something to say no okay well you were making a lot of noise your mic was bumping son all Mark, right my bad. anyway um so i think what i found interesting in the break the will speech and During Season 5, the trailers that led up to it, and then when the actual speech happened itself, people gave it a lot of shit. It was like, it it became a meme, basically. Everybody made fun of it, this is over the top, this is too, this is ridiculous, this is just another Daenerys and her eyebrows making, uh, speeches, and I'm sick and tired of it. But it, it holds up now, if you think about it, uh, now that she's in Westeros in Season 7, um... She is trying to break the wheel. She's trying to become somebody different, and she may be going about it with her dragons. Maybe she may she may want to torch things, but she she made the ultimate decision to help fight for the living instead of going and, and killing Cersei and melting King's Landing. So the, her speech in season five holds up now to where we are in season seven, going into season eight. I also liked one of my favorite lines was Tyrion saying, "We're a couple of." um what do you say? We're terrible children of terrible fathers. I thought that was a really good line because, you know, (laughs) Danny's like, well, what did I do? I'm not terrible. I've heard things about you is what he says. So, um, you know, there's, there's some, there's some great moments in those scenes, but we get to King's Landing and I had completely forgotten that at this point, Cersei was still in, in the custody of the church and the high Sparrow. And man, you know, I, at the end of season five, um, when Cersei does her walk of shame, and then in season six, in in the Winds of Winter, when she has, uh, she has what's her name, Unella, put put in a cell with the mountain. I felt hmm. bad. I felt bad for Unella. I honestly did feel bad for Unella. But watching Unella beat the shit out of Cersei in the in the cell with with the little ladle, and and telling her to confess. It really made me go. I can't wait till Cersei breaks out of here and gives you what you deserve. You know. So Corey Smith, with with uh, everything going on in King's Landing, do you still did you, did you have any pity for Cersei, and or did you think you know what she's getting what she deserves, and I don't care how she
1: feels? Yeah, I didn't have much pity for her because she's still arrogant as shit when she's in there.
0: She still you know, tells her, "I'm gonna get you when I get out."
1: Yeah, she says it. I mean, both times, because I, I think there's just the two scenes uh, with Cersei mm-hmm. and, and Unella, and both times, like, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch you screaming," or "I'm thinking of hideous ways to kill you." You know, something along those lines. So, I didn't really feel too bad for Cersei. I mean, yeah, it sucks drinking water off the floor, but. I mean, she was being a little asshole, so I don't know.
0: I guess for me, and I don't phone. I don't know how you felt about it, but for me, it was like you've got this religious persecution. Basically, you've got uh, reverse persecution. You've got the, the high sparrow and, and his lackeys doing whatever they want to, and they're doing it under the guise of of religion, and really, it's they're doing it for their own gain and. So, I guess maybe that's why I was kind of rooting for Cersei in that moment. Did you have that kind of feeling or not?
2: Uh, No. No? I don't root for Cersei in any manner. <laughs> but I mean, but I we all that knew that she way. was going to get out of there. Right. And, you know, what ended up happening to that lady is also not, like, I'm, I don't, I mean, I'm not going to say I don't feel bad for her, necessarily how she died, but how she eventually died, I guess I should say. But it's. It's not like she was a good person and deserved anything. The 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 faith militant and the high spirit and all that was was just political gaming and uh you know the Lannisters met their match on you know in in chess and they lost that game but they didn't lose the you know the whole thing overall. But that's just because she blew up the chessboard. She's that person <laughs> she, that
0: she, she took her, she her toys and went home.
2: Yeah, she took yeah, she did. So I mean it's you know they had Tywin been alive.
0: Had Tywin been alive, that would've never happened though.
2: Oh my god, no. Tywin would have no. He would have squashed the faith. Yeah. I mean it's just the faith came up at a pretty vulnerable time. Cersei is part of the reason why they got so powerful and you know, they (laughs) they saw an opportunity to take over.
0: She even says in the episode, "I raised him up. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna confess to the person I raised up from nothing." So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's there's two other there's two other um, scenes away from Hart home that I found interesting in this episode, and it was one. You have Sam and, and Gilly, and, and Sam's cell at, at the night watch, and this is
1: and the, Ollie. Fuck Ollie.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, in my notes, the first thing I write is "fuck Ollie." Fuck, Ollie.
0: Oh, my God. Two words that raise an entire subreddit and a million means. But this is right before Sam gets Nookie, isn't
1: it? No. He gets it. I I thought that, too. But he gets it right after he gets his ass kicked.
0: Okay. Okay. So he gets it the episode before.
1: Right. Right after he gets his ass kicked, apparently he's still good to go for the first time in his life. Um, But, yeah, that was the episode before.
0: So you've got he like the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, what a great that, I I was hoping that um as I watched this I was like, Okay, please let it happen this episode because I want to talk about that. I love that. But uh he's he, I love I love Sam, I love the character of Sam and Gilly taking care of Sam like she did because he stood up for her, even though it was Ghost that uh you know, eventually handled business. Um I, I like that uh gilly and sam were together there and they ended up being together from then on but uh
2: can we also talk about how sam convinces ollie to kill john
0: yes yes i wanted to talk about that yes and
2: then and then he tells ollie that he's wasting his time because john will just come back anyway
0: (laughs) John, john always comes back don't worry ollie he always comes back yeah i watched it today and i was like did sam just tell ollie that it's okay To do some things bad, to get something to get something good done? Follow your convictions, no. Don't do that, Ollie But uh yeah, no. Uh that you know that that line about John always comes back. That line held the hope of Thousands of fans of Jon Snow during season five, between the, between the off season of season five and season six, back when uh, Benioff and Weiss were telling us, "No, Jon Snow's not coming back. He's dead. He's gone. He's moving on." And Kit Harington did interviews where he said, "I'm dead. I'm moving on. I'm looking at other projects." And uh, we we even at winter's coming, we did a thing called Hair Watch, and we we would we would check the length of his hair. So, we we were watching very closely to make sure he was coming back, because you have to remember, this is where the books ended for book readers. We had nothing to go on in Season 6, right, Smith?
1: Um, We had a little bit. Not um, much. So, we didn't know yeah, about John. Some of this, no, no, not, nothing with John. We had some stuff with the Iron Islands, um, and some stuff with the Dornish, I believe, but... <sighs> nothing there was nothing major that we that we had to go on no it was we didn't know because it the books end with john dead that's where the that's literally the last page of the last book Mm. and god knows when we're getting the next one but yeah so we didn't know um i mean we all we had a pretty good idea john was coming back but we didn't know how or when or what form it would take so yeah definitely was we were we were in the dark too we also
0: get um, at Winterfell. Sansa talks to uh, Theon and realizes that her younger brothers are still yes. alive. Yes,
1: this is one of my this is one of my favorite Sophie Turner scenes in the series. It was a good scene too. Yeah, and it really makes you. I, I know we rag on on Sansa the character quite a bit, but. I don't think I've ever ragged on Sophie Turner, the actress.
0: Oh no. She kills it every time she's on screen. Basically she's really good.
1: Right. And, and scenes like this are one of the reasons why uh, the character of Sansa gets me so frustrated because Sophie Turner can clearly act. And I love this scene with Alfie Allen, who obviously also can act the shit out of almost anything. Um, but it was just such a, she just kind of unleashes all this emotion on on Theon. And it was just so awesome to see her doing something, you, you know, proactive. Other than just kind of standing there afraid and crying and, and not doing anything. Here she is, like, taking it out on somebody else. And I, I love the scene. It's one of my favorite scenes of hers through the whole series. I mean, even up through Season 7.
0: And this is after, by the way, the horrible events of her wedding night with Ramsey Bolton. And after that, the old lady who was going to uh, light a candle in the tower that Theon, Theon um, rats on her. And she ends up getting flayed by Ramsey. So Sansa really had no reason to hope for anything. And you forget that as as the watcher, you know that Rickon and and Bran are still alive, and you know that those two little, little boys who were killed and burned. By the way, we're celebrating the fact that Rickon and Bran are alive, but nobody cares about the farmer boys. Who cares about the farmers' boys? Somebody has to. But um, they we we watch this scene, and you forget that sansa doesn't know this like I, I i was taken out of the moment for a second because i'm thinking well clearly brandon and rick on our lives so whatever and then you th- and i forgive like reek's been like theon's been through so much i feel bad for him. reek is bad it's horrible what he's been through and you look at sansa and she says good i'm glad he did all that to you and then he tells her i didn't your brothers weren't i didn't kill your brothers I did. I kill two farmers' boys and burn their bodies, and there's hope in her eyes. Like, oh my God, for once in my for once in, in through all this nightmare, I have something to live for. So it's very it's a great poignant well, scene.
1: Yeah, especially when she's not. She calls the she she calls them Theon's brothers yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, She yeah. doesn't say these are you know these are your these were your friends. She says those were your brothers. Yeah. you were raised. With them, those were your brothers, and you murdered them and that's you know that's one of the reasons that scene works so well because she is just and she's and she's she's right on with that statement, and I think that's what makes Dion confess because he doesn't think of himself as ever literally harming you know someone that he considered family, and I think that's what breaks him into confessing so
0: Phone, did you have any thoughts about this scene? Because I know you took notes.
1: Yep, I actually wrote down uh, here
2: that this was, for me, I think the first time that we, because Sansa, as the show progresses into this last season, she's gotten way more aggressive and taken more initiative and, you know, stopped uh, being, I don't know, scared to say what's on her mind as much. Right. You know, I know that previously. We had a scene similar to this with uh, Marjorie and Elena where she tells him that Joffrey's a monster and then gets scared again and Mm -hmm. she clams up. Right. But, like, here we have the first signs of that aggressiveness, really, since she left King's Landing. Uh, The fact that she shows no mercy to Theon, she's like, I'm glad that it happened to you. You deserve it, you piece of shit. (laughs) And, you know, it just kind of stone stone faces him and everything. Uh, I thought it was a pretty cool scene. And it was – this is around the time that I started to be like, oh, maybe they're actually going to do something with Cersei. And then they had her, Thelma and Louise, off the castle wall with Reek. And...
0: <laughs> the Thelma and Louise moment. That was great. You know what? You bring up the Thelma and Louise moment. And I remember – we've talked – we've we made fun of this several times, but I think it bears bringing it up again. In this episode, Roose Bolton tells Ramsey um, the, the the snows are so thick we can't take an army out to meet Stannis. And yet, when Sansa and Theon jump off the wall, it looks like a light dusting on the ground.
2: Well, not to say they're running through the forest in the next season and it's like green. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but, the, but the snows are too thick for a forest. And then you got Ramsey's line where yeah, I, just I wrote down. 20 them- good men.
2: Yeah, I wrote down 20 good men in all caps. That's that's a great line. Um,
0: oh, my God. Another, un- this season maybe uh, – it spawned a ton of memes, and uh, 20 good men was another meme that was spawned. Oysters,
2: clams, and cockles as well. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> I'll, read, I'll read my notes from, from the Aria shit here. All caps, oysters, clams, and cockles, which <laughs> haunts my dreams and <laughs> just <laughs> – it's just the, the the cadence and the pitch. It's like, oh my god, uh, this was this her first killing contract thing? Yes. yes. Oh so, yeah, yes. that's that's big. That's a it's a big moment in the show. Yeah. Is this the first time that she's supposed to go out and kill someone? And she and couldn't even when,
1: do that right.
2: No, didn't she kill Marin Tran or something? Yeah, she
1: killed Tran. Yeah. at the end of the season when you okay. saw the with the little oyster knife she killed. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And then since she goes yeah. blind, then she was blind, right? Right. So yeah. yeah, the last thing I wrote about the oysters, clams, and cockles segment. Can we just forget this storyline ever happened and pretend that Arya got into a time machine like Bill and Ted to (laughs) learn karate instantly instead of this shit. Because as cool as we all were we were all so on board with her going to karate school with sexy Jesus and Yeah we got (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: going, going, over
2: yeah. I was so on board with it. And then like by the point and even at still that's the thing, it's like if, if I'm sure at this point I was still on board with it because it was uh, this is building to something. I know it is. <laughs> <laughs> it eventually builds to one of the worst chase scenes. One of the worst like in a show that even though it's it's fantasy is sometimes brutal in its uh realism a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like to to have that, it was like oh my god, this is too much. It was so really anyway. over the
0: top. I agree, I agree, yeah. and I I just def- I'll de- sometimes I'll defend, I'll defend the scenes in this show to the death, and that was too much for me to defend. After this, the whole stabbing and falling into the filthy water, and then living and then running like the Terminator. I mean, yeah, there was a lot. There was too much.
2: I get stabbed in the stomach, and she goes to an actress's house and drinks some tonic, and it's fine, and. <laughs> I just I don't want to get into it again, but but at this point it was still interesting to see, like it was interesting to see the amount of effort they put into a hit, because like true. she had been acting as a oysters, clams, and cockles salesman for <laughs> weeks, going and turning left onto whatever street, Ragman. and now she's whatever, and now she's turning right onto uh, Har- Opportunity Harbor. Boulevard. I don't know. It's not that important. <laughs> it
0: is no, but um, you know what's so cool about this scene is, well, I don't know if you call it cool, because Smith, I wanted to ask you this. Um, in the books, she actually kills a thin man. Um, she carries out with her poison cocks- with poison. Yeah. Uh, and she doesn't do it in the show. You think it played out better how she ch- she got to kill
1: Trant instead? I mean, they were kind of merging. That was, was me. Gathering my thoughts, well, simultaneously, your thoughts talking. gathering sound like
2: a spoon <laughs> clanking on teeth.
1: It sounded like the kid from the ring had the ring crawled
0: out of my TV, and you were coming
1: at me. <laughs> well, now my thoughts are just gone. Um, <laughs> no, but they merged. They merged to two contracts on the show because in a preview chapter from Winds of Winter, Arya kills. Like one of the dozen of the mountains men, right, right, uh, over who happens to come over to Bravos instead of Marin Trant, um, and so I, I you, I, I guess it played off better in the the show. I mean, I, I think we are all we've all kind of touched on it, but I was struck by when I was watching the episode just how spread out and. How many things were going on compared to you know where we got by the time season seven ended, right? You've got Arya and Bravos, you got yeah. Danny over in Marine, you've got everything going on in Westeros, up at the Wall, um, beyond the Wall. You know, just all this stuff going on every you know corner of Westeros, and you know, it's just it was just it was kind of a striking contrast. To where we are now, where everything's basically been condensed down to Westeros. Yeah,
0: think uh, about it. We had we had King's Landing, we had Winterfell, we had uh, Ring, Bravos, and then Hardhome. So you had five different viewpoints. You, you had the Wall too. You had beyond the Wall and the Wall. So you had like, it's six different viewpoints all in one episode. Whereas right. now you're right. In season seven, we get one or two if we're lucky. So, yeah, right. right. It's been condensed. Everything is spread out. And, and that just makes me appreciate uh, Benioff and Weiss and how they're able to tell a story so spread out across the the, the map of, 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 of the world, of, of that world, so well to bring it all in. Because we had all that story, and then we get to Hard Home. Um, right. Which, let's talk about the actual Hard Home battle itself. Um, so,. I I really this is where Tormund and Jon Snow decide that they can work together, right? Because before this, Jon has unlocked Tormund's chains, and they've had a standoff, and they're they're they, you know they're swinging their dicks at each other, trying to see who's taller. And you get to Hardhome, and Tormund goes, "Do you trust me, Jon Snow?" And Jon goes, I "What did he say? Uh, am I stupid if I do, or something like that?" And then you have Rattle Shirt come down and torment beats the fuck out of him with his own club. But um, phone, phone, tell me uh, how your notes go from Hard Home on.
2: All right, flip, flip to that moment. <laughs> I have a whole page about Hard Home. Uh, so it, I, I did notice on my computer screen that it was almost exactly halfway through the episode when we get to Hard Home and. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get like thirty minutes of not hard home, and then thirty minutes of hard home, which is easy and, to forget uh, before you get uh, there. What? It's
0: easy to forget that when you talk about this episode, you think the whole yeah, episode.
2: And, and it just reminded me of uh, like Battle of the Bastards, where right. you know we did the same thing. Where if you had had too much in hard home, it would have been overwhelming. I think mm-hmm. so. They did it. I liked that. Uh, that the guy with the. The uh the skull face mask rattle from shirt. season one, what
0: rattle shirt?
2: Oh, I thought he called him Bone Lord or whatever, L- Lord
0: of Bones. Lord of Bones. It's his nickname. Oh, okay,
2: yeah, he's pretty fucking extra. He's unnecessary. Yeah, and totally extra. uh, yeah, he get he talks shit and got hit, and <laughs> I I thought it was great. Uh, Tormund, this is about the time. I mean, Tormund's always great. Yeah, he's he's chewed scenery from the jump. But this is about the time where I think we all realize just how good of an actor that guy is, <laughs> and and how how interesting, how much fun they were having writing this character. And I mean, he basically is a hype man for John in this meeting, but he's covered in blood from beating the <laughs> shit out of some guy. <laughs> anyway, I, I thought it was a great way to start the peace accords with a murder. So
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> gather the elders now <laughs> yeah that was great that was a great scene i I liked um, when we when you got into the uh, the great hall they were talking in but whatever that little roofless cabin was and you've got uh, you've got one one in the corner and this is where we we, we saw one one in in season four attack the wall but this is the first time we actually got to deal with one one like he he here's where one one the giant became an actual uh, character that you got invested in because he had great lines with Ed. Like, after the meeting, Ed's looking for all the, Ed, Ed's gathering up all the dragon glass, and one one's looking at a piece of dragon glass, and he's like, the fuck you looking at? <laughs> and so, and then they kind of become bros. Because they hear the dogs barking, signaling the Night King coming, and they all grab their swords, and it's Ed and a bunch of wildlings in the in the in the, in the hall with one one, and they start to fight together. So, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Smith, what was your first take? Like, what did you what stood out at the very beginning uh, from the scene at Hardhome?
1: Um, I I think I just kind of liked the the time that they took to to build it up. Um, and then how it eventually came out of nowhere. But, um, I definitely liked their parlay to me when they're all talking in the, in the big hut, it seemed really realistic to me. Right. Um, you know, John is like, I'm not going to forget all the people that you, you know, all my friends that y'all killed and I'm not telling you to forget yours, I'm just saying we have to work together, or we're all gonna die.
0: Yeah, and he admits to killing Mance Rayder, uh, which right. could've, that could have got him killed right there because there's a giant thin with a huge axe standing right in front
1: of him. Well, they all loved, they all followed Mance. They all loved right. Mance. They all respected Mance. Like that's why they all worked for him. And so, yeah, I mean that could have got him killed right there. So again, it just kind of it went back to John's being completely honest with these people, even if it wasn't in his best interest. And at that point in time,
0: let's you know I mean? let's point out for those, and I'm sure most people do know this, but let's. I think it's fun to point out that Mance Rayder at one point was a man of the Night's Watch, and they called John King Crow. Once again, the wildlings are following yeah. following a man of the Night's Watch.
1: Okay, so I was I was racking my brain. Was that that was the first time anybody referred to John as a king? Right, right, right. King. That's the first time they called him King Crow. I mean, anybody, though, right? Because, like, back at the Night's Watch, it was always Lord Snow. Lord Snow, yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. So, I that I did catch, I mean, that kind of stood out to me. Again, I think that's something you catch on a second, you know, or third watch, because the first time you're just listening, but you catch kind of those subtle things, yeah. you know, when you go back through. So, yeah, I definitely caught that. I think they said two or three times, at least, that they called him that.
0: I also like the callback from, uh, the whole, uh, I fucking hate Thins that Carsey says to Torman, which is a callback to what, uh, uh said to, uh, Tormund, or Torman said to Yigret in season four yeah. before they attacked the wall. I fucking hate yeah. Thins. And, and when, when Carsey says it to Torman, he just nods his head. I and mean, that is such a great callback, a subtle callback that was
1: hilarious in its own right. But, well, this, we'll we'll get to. I mean, you brought up Carsi and I don't know if you want to talk about this later, but damn, what's her name killed it in the one episode she was in.
0: She had to be in a season full of garbage characters like the Sand Snakes, and um, you, she had to be the I don't I don't know if you call her the guest star MVP because obviously it was, and she was better than some of the main cast in their roles, like. That's when, that season, um, Bri- uh, the Bri uh, Brienne, actress, my god, my head just went blank. Um. Gwendolyn Christie. Gwendolyn Christie, holy crap! She was filming The Force Awakens during that season. So, and I'm, I'm not sure that's why she wasn't in all of season five, but she's only in there just a little bit. She follows, uh, Sansa and Littlefinger down, down the King's Road to Winterfell, and then she. She gets stuck in that town waiting for a candle, and you don't see her again until she kills Stannis. So she's not in this season a lot, uh, and so there's a lot of characters that only had, that had small roles. This is this is a season where the larger characters started to come to bear, and you have this one-off episode where Carsi and and I again I you're right I couldn't pronounce I don't I don't I forget the actress's name, and if I did know it, I probably couldn't pronounce it correctly, but she. Killed it this episode. And I remember talking about this during the podcast when this actually happened, and we were all just floored by her performance. And she kicks it off from the beginning. She talks about spitting – her ancestors spitting on her if she decided to work with the crows. But the fuck them, right. they're dead. She fucking hates fins. She has Whoa. two daughters. She, she she gets to safety before she jumps into the boat because she has to save the old people. You know, she she just had – and she fought like a badass.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean think about how difficult – of a role that is to step into because you know, you have to instantly build a rapport with the audience right? to where when she does eventually, and we'll talk to her about her death, but when she does die, you felt it. Yeah, we cared. And you know, and, and I mean, she was in probably, I don't know, maybe five minutes of screen time total. And so just to, to get it from, we've never seen this character before to when she dies, it's a brutal, you know, gut punch. You
0: remember um, her name. We all remember her name, Carsey, because right. of how good and she was.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, I don't think we can, you know, mention enough how much she just killed her small role. I mean, definitely MVP of the guest stars or whatever you want to call it.
0: And, you know, the Sin, the guy who played the Sin, he did really well, like... The, yeah before that the thins were cannibalistic assholes who attacked the wall and who John had to hit it in the head with the hammer all that stuff but this thin was actually pretty cool his axe was was badass until it got shattered by the by the white walker but he ended up sa- he ended up sacrificing himself so John could find dragon glass so yeah. in the end he he closed the gates to hard home first of all which bought them time. To get the rest of the people on boats into the ships. And then, he sacrificed himself so John could get Dragonglass. So that character, and I don't even know if he had a name in the show. I just know he, as a Finn, he, he, he was really good. He was a good character, and he was right after, you wanna talk about low-key MVPs, he was right after Carsey. But, uh, uh, Phone, as we, as we progressed, as the Night King shows up, and the Finn shuts the gate, um now that you've seen the Army of the Dead in, 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 in Season 6 and Season 7 and what what they can do, this is the first time we've actually seen what the Army of, of the Dead can do to a massive army of the living or a group of the living. What did you think as you were watching this?
2: All right, so let me just read my notes because I took them. <laughs> so I'm going to read them. Uh, we see how ineffective conventional weapons are against the whites. Uh, some mm-hmm. of the ones coming through the the fence wall, whatever. Yeah, arrows have, had no
0: had no effect on them.
2: Arrows in their heads and everything, didn't slow them down. We got the four horsemen of the apocalypse shot on the top of the ridge. Uh, <laughs> then we get the awesome tracking shot, the first first of many tracking shots of John to come, moving through the battle, uh, being a badass, ducking, you know, being really lucky, and <laughs> also killing a lot of things. <laughs> Uh, we see 1-1 one, one, kick some ass, and then, uh, boom, this is, I'm reading this exactly. Then, boom, White Walker comes in, old Ted Nugent-looking ass. and uh,
0: <laughs> Ted Nugent White Walker,
2: yes! Uh, the Thin that everyone hates goes to, fa- uh, okay, so is Thin a clan, Thin? Yeah. Cause I didn't, okay. Because I thought his name was Thin, or Thins, and I was like, yeah, everybody hates that guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Everybody
2: fucking hates thin. Now I remember they're the ones that, that 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 they ate crow. They had like an yeah. arm on a spit in like season yes. one or two or whatever. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It was so stupid. <laughs> uh, we, <laughs> the the thin goes to face off against Nugent and is immediately <laughs> dealt with. <laughs> and then we see how strong White Walkers are, and one throws John across the room with one hand. So. Uh, also, he's shattered. I think I'm bleeding inside my chest. Like, John, <laughs> John got, got smacked in the solar plexus, was coughing up blood and shit. That was really cool. Like So, anyway, I, I think the biggest takeaway from all of this is they did a good job of showing you, and this is before, you know, this is just in that one scene, that John is very competent, that uh, the white... The little white walkers are not stopped by conventional weapons, and that the whites are pretty much unbeatable on their own unless you have something special.
0: Also, this is the first time we saw that fire has no – fire is nothing to a white walker because when that white walker walked through the fire, it it dissipated as he walked through it. And Uh, it's the first time – I'm sorry, Smith. I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's also the uh, first time that we saw – Valyrian steel is
1: is the weapon
0: of choice when fighting a White Walker.
1: Yes, and I I think that you touched on this earlier, but this I mean the the whole part of this episode was that this is the first time, and I think this for me was kind of part of what season five did. Um, you know, because I've heard some people say that season four is like the end of the first half of the of uh, the story right and that Mm -hmm. season five launches everything into different directions right right and if you think about up until you know through season four we'd seen white walkers right Mm -hmm. but they'd never done anything major that we'd seen on screen we saw them attack the fist uh, of the first men in season at the end of season two and take out a bunch of the night's watch and we'd seen them you know take out a few people here or there but we would never seen them in a mass you know, army situation like this. Well, like
0: Phone said, we'd never seen the 4 horsemen of the apocalypse before either.
1: Right. And so I think that this kind of established that, like, okay, season one through four, we're all playing our bullshit games, and, you know, the Lannisters are screwing the Starks, and the Starks, are, you know, everybody was, you know, mm, buying The Lannisters
2: the are screwing other Lannisters, <laughs> I believe. Okay.
1: Fair enough. But, you know, this is where I think they really kind of established that hey, the real threat is the White Walkers, that all this other bullshit doesn't matter, that the White Walkers are, are obviously what is the main threat. And and I thought from the moment the dogs started howling off screen yeah. until John's paddling away in the boat at the end, that it was just fantastic television. Like every single moment... I mean, all, all the, the parlay and everything that led up to that was great, too, but once those dogs started howling, it's like we just entered in at a whole nother...
0: It shifted uh, into overdrive is what happened. Right. And, and it I, was just like... I can, can just remember, I can remember as writing for this season, before season five started, and uh, some of you may remember Annie, she wrote for, for Winners Coming Back then, and we, we got Hulk. Annie was great about sussing out filming news before it was easily made available across several sites. Annie always found the good stuff. And she found out they were filming several nights at at, at uh, the quarry at Magharamorn. Mag- Mag- I just fucked it up. Magharamorn. <laughs> Mag- Magharamorn Quarry. They were filming there, and it was going to be for Hard Home. And uh, when the first trailer came out, she and I broke it down scene by scene by scene, and we figured out that there was going to be a white walkers running up to – our whites running up to the fence. And so we were excited for that. And you know what? You're right, Smith. It got kicked into overdrive because the first time I watched this episode, from the moment the dogs started barking, I stood up and started pacing back and forth in my living room. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. And I was walking back and forth, pacing. And just, just today when I rewatched it, I – I set up straight. Like, I was sitting in my recliner, and I was like, oh, shit, kick the legs down and set up straight, because that's how exciting this episode is when it, when it comes to that. Because, um, and, and, and to bring into what Phone said about 1-1 one, one smashing things, you have all kinds of things happening. The whites are coming up to the fence. Arrows aren't working. Um, they're crawling. Like, that one white starts digging his way in the dirt underneath the fence, and the thin steps and squashes his head. Then John... Runs into the house, into the, the house after 1-1 one, one smashes his way through, stomping on heads. And that's when you get the big one shot of Jon Snow running through the, 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 the town. And you've got, um, Jon Snow and the White Walk, uh, Ted Nugent Walker battling each other. And then you see Jon for the first time uses Longclaw to kill a White Walker. And it's an amazing scene. But there's all these other great scenes like Jon and, um, after that, he's laying on the ground, and Ed comes over to him, and they look up, and that's when you get the lemming drop, you know? The, the Night King right. calls all the whites over, and they fall off the cliff like a bunch of lemmings.
2: Okay. I gotta say, you, you've, you've left out, I think, a very key step in getting to the lemmings part. What's that? So, uh, when John stops the White Walker's, I guess, spear, or whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. with, with his Valyrian steel sword... A, we get the great look. I didn't know that White Walkers could emote, but there's, <laughs> there's that guy, and he's like, the fuck? And then he gets killed. Like It was definitely like a that's-not-supposed-to-happen look on his face. And then they cut to the Night King watching uh, Jon get up yeah. off the ground, and we see his face. And the Night King, granted, always kind of looks somber for some reason. But uh, he's, he, got, he, he's
0: got resting bitch face. Let's just he, he, he
2: does. Yeah. He does. But we, what is implied there, as he watches John, you know, lead these men and stave off a of White Walker and all that stuff. We, he is seeing a threat, and he's seeing a real threat. And then he's like, okay, so it's taking too long to get through the fence. We need to get after this guy. You guys start jumping off the mountain, and and they do. And then they start limming themselves <laughs> off the, the mountain, and then getting up. Which again, conventional death means nothing. It just reinforces that. But also, it it was just he he called in the cavalry. He was like, "Damn this this dude with the long hair down there and just kill one of my boys." This so has got the luxurious him, locks down there. This guy yeah, with the really cinna- sexy hair. I, it's, it's cinnamon bun down there just. <laughs> slaughtered one of my guys, so I better send in a cavalry. I don't See, think he was planning on sending that, those in until John did that.
1: Okay, <laughs> I, I took it a slightly different way. I am with Razor that when I watched the episode for the first time, I literally jumped up on the edge of my couch, and I like crouched like <laughs> I was ready to jump or something for like 30 minutes. But anyways, I took that scene as it, to me it was Kind of the Night King, and and this is further. My my opinion is further later when he does the ra- you know raising of the arms thing. I think that that was something of the Night King trying to like crush John's like not his soul, but like his spirit. Spirit, yeah, there you go. Because he's you know John's like oh, I killed a White Walker, and then the Night King's like I don't give a shit, and just sends all of his guys right off the cliff. I don't give a fuck. Look what I got. Right, like that was what it to me. That's what it was. Like a hey, okay, you can do that, but look at this. You know what I mean? Like you killed one White Walker. Here's ten thousand dead people. You know, deal with that. So I mean, I
2: think either way, I think what it does mean is that the night. This is the first time the Night King yeah. is aware of Jon, and is aware that that I don't know. Something that,
1: can kill them.
2: Something can kill them. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so I think whether he was planning to or not. The cavalry coming in over the cliffs, I think, was a reaction to John, just like his reaction walking onto the dock was to be like, hey, man, you ain't shit. Like, watch <laughs> this.
1: And okay, and here's my other question. Why the fuck did not half of the army fall down when they killed the one White Walker? Oh, right? that's a good question.
0: But like, it, when I was
1: watching, I, I can was like... I answer it. I, go ahead. It's because it's because
2: it wasn't the White Walker that either converted or was controlling them. The Night King was there, so he was in charge. Mm. Like the Night King, like the in in the season seven or whatever, that White Walker has his patrol, whites uh, patrol around him. His snow like, patrol, <laughs> his snow patrol exactly. His his Arctic monkeys around him, and they. Uh, I think that they're under his like power right then, like he's the one keeping them alive. Mm-hmm. So when he died, and then the one there that wasn't, I don't know that he didn't convert or something. I mean, it's a fair question, but from what I can see, it, it looks like there is power in the surrounding White Walkers. That so it's keeps, not, or it's, wipes them alive. it's
0: not really a question of conversion, who converts to. It's it's a it's a question of who's controlling them. Like the power of the of the Night King trumps the White Walker so itself.
2: But if that's the case, then, then the the one in season seven would have died too when they killed the White Walker because, yeah, he was controlling him right that's there. True. So I mean, it's a bit of a plot hole. I think Smith might have found a bit of a plot hole there.
0: But um, you know, I, I would also say to both of your points, to Phone's point about the Night King being for the first time seeing somebody can kill a White Walker, and then to Smith's point about uh, him sending all the Lemmings over to crush John, um, <clears throat> I think it's. W- worth noting that he only sent one of his white walkers into the village to attack at first like yeah we got this I'll, oh, let's just send ted ted nugic you go in there and you kill everybody and we'll be down to clean up clean up the uh, the mess but after john killed ted then you had Everybody had to get involved because after, after all that happens and, and Ed's like, let's get the fuck out of here. And one, they tell one one to run and one one's got the smoking tree and he's swinging it back and forth to knock everybody out of his way. You see, after the Night King raises the dead, before he does it, you see White Walkers among the, the, uh, wildlings stabbing them. Yes. So they've come down from their mountaintop. And they've gotten involved in the battle, so you're right. You're both right. Uh, crushing John's spirit, and oh shit, somebody can kill us. Uh, let's take this shit seriously. So I think it's very important. Hardhome, it as it in itself is an exciting episode because before that you had uh, season four's um, Watchers on the Wall, where you had the Wildlings attack the wall, and that was exciting and fun. And before that you had what uh, season two. And, and, I mean, you could count the Red Wedding, I guess, but Season 2 was a big battle with Blackwater. Um, so, it really wasn't a lot of, you know, you're, these were just side battles, like family on fa- families versus families, and kingdoms versus kingdoms. This is where you, the stakes got real, and this is the first time where um, the living versus the dead. And John, after this episode, Jon takes it back to the Night's Watch, and even then, they don't even take him seriously, so... This was the first time where the stakes were raised, and you're absolutely right when you made that point so um i before we close this episode out, uh Smith, final thoughts on hard home
1: um I mean just reiterating what you were just saying, I think this was just a, it was a major step forward for the narra- for the narrative of the of the overall story and i think even I think it was even such a big step forward that in the next season you know in season six, they tried to take a step back. Yeah, you know, and they they tried to scale back the the White Walkers and make us focus on you know back to John and everybody taking Winterfell. So, um, you know, they tried to maybe make us forget it happened or, or just yeah, because it shifted it.
0: to Bran. The White Walkers shifted to Bran for season six instead of John.
1: Right, and and so I think that yeah, it was just and. I think that was kind of when we started seeing that maybe the end game in sight was that this is what really matters. And this is what is, is ultimately what we're going to have to face off with whenever we're done screwing around over who gets to sit on that, that really uncomfortable chair. Um, <laughs> so yeah. And, and like I said earlier, I mean just the entire sequence, you know, from the moment John and Torment show up on the boat and they're rowing up there, um, to the especially when the dogs start howling and it just gets kicked into hyperdrive in a matter of seconds, um, it was just fantastic TV. And then we didn't touch too much on Carsey dying. Um, yeah, I I, th- I don't know if it was Benioff and Weiss that said it, but you know when she sees all those children, um, that that was like a nightmare for her.
0: Yeah because she and, puts her two daughters in the boat before it all starts and so she's right mother. yeah she's a mother yeah. first
1: right and so when she sees those kids that are get, about to kill her her whole world just collapses and she that that's a, she's living in a nightmare and so that's why she can't fight back she couldn't fight like children it, it it literally killed her to
0: fight children <laughs> literally right
1: yeah so i mean just you know the scenes like that it just touched on how well, from start to finish, that entire sequence is... Um, I mean, I put it up against almost anything the show has done. Um, you know, the action may not be as lengthy or as crazy as, like, say, Battle of the Bastards. But I think that emotionally, it raised your blood pre—your Not your blood pressure, but you just... It was a lot more tense and there was a lot there was more horror elements to this scene um, to this battle than any of the other battles that we had seen um, right you know before or after so
0: phone so, um, now that you've seen um, Battle of bastards loot train attack uh, beyond the wall battle, uh, where would you rank hard home among those?
2: I would put it second. After Battle of the Bastards. Okay. I still think that's my favorite episode, probably. And it, because we got, it, it's what makes Hard Home so great is that it's not just Hard Home. We also get the great stuff with Danny and Tyrion and all that. And we get, you know, a few other scenes here and there. But Battle of the Bastards, we get the, you know, Slaver's Bay battle and Battle of the Bastards and uh, finality with. Ramsey, so it's just kind of and we get the stark banner hanging so i mean i feel like it just has more uh of uh, a finishing aspect to it than hard home which is more of a beginning aspect right. to me but it's really impressive to go back and watch hard home with these characters and especially carsey to introduce these one-offs uh that really hurt to see her die. Yeah. And, you know, the White Walker children i put down here is still one of the more disturbing things in the show. It
0: was terrible. That
2: isn't, that isn't, like, not counting the graphic violence that we've seen from, like, Joffrey or that happened to Sansa and stuff. Like, this is as just, like, a thing in the universe. It's really disturbed. Like, that one kid didn't have eyeballs, man. Yeah. Uh, And also, also they really uh, do a good job of, of peppering in hints of how of what kind of stuff the Night king has in his arsenal with these kids where it's like oh man they have dead kids can fight you too and (laughs) and and you know one one's there and there were used to be other giants but they don't don't see it till season seven or whatever but that's a great point you know they pepper all that stuff in to remind you that like it's not just men that you're seeing it's women and children and everybody becomes a soldier so it was pretty important to have that so it's not just the men
0: it's the women and children too
2: yeah, it's and they're. I hate White Walkers. They're coarse and irritating, <laughs> and they get they get, the they get, you get everywhere. On that? <laughs> but, uh, we also uh, nobody's talked about Teary-eyed Torment. But when he's yeah on the boat, like he's seriously. I, I don't. It could be the wind, I guess. But it looks like he's crying because I feel like he those you know, are his people. People he just lost.
0: Yeah,
2: and um, which I mean, imagine you know, it's. It, it is Really, it's TV, so it's fine, but it's awfully serendipitous to be like, yeah, we got here like an hour before the Night King did. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, the, the moment on the docks obviously is iconic. That is a top five moment of the show so far. Agreed. I, I don't think you can make a top If you, I, I would listen to arguments that it might be just out of the top five based off of a few other awesome moments, but it's pretty iconic him raising his arms like that. And um yeah, I I just really love that like the camera too, it doesn't it doesn't linger on the Night King, it comes back to John's perspective and, and what he's seeing from the boat. And Complete then you realize that, like, nobody in the boat is rowing, they're just <laughs> staring.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh. Wait, wait, wait. There is a guy rowing and this this is what's so funny about this season, is we all well, not all of us. A lot of us. There were theories all over Reddit that the guy in the front, in the front of the boat who's rowing, has his head over his head was Uncle Benjamin. There was a lot of fe- <laughs> Smith. I don't know if you remember this because you, like I said, I don't think you were writing for Wick back then. But there were theories all over the place that the guy in front of the boat, because you never see his face, and that's Uncle Benjamin because in, in, the the. In the two episodes later, in the finale, Uncle Benjamin shows up all, all of a sudden, or that he's yeah. supposed to be showing up all of a sudden. That, that I thought you him out.
1: Honestly, I didn't catch that the first couple of times, but last night I did see the dude in the hood, and I'm like, why the fuck is that guy not even like turning around? Like <laughs> yeah, everybody else, yeah. in the boat, everybody else in the boat is like literally like dumbstruck. And he's he just got his like, head down rolling. Yeah, he's he got his head down. He's just like, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to look. I mean, maybe he was like, I'm not looking at that shit. But <laughs> you know, I don't know. It just, I did catch that this time around. I didn't. I didn't really notice the first couple times I watched it.
2: He's that guy in action movies that. Like, has got his headphones in and is missing all of the, like, city being destroyed around him. Like, he's just, I'm just row-the-boat guy. You guys are in. All right, let's go. And, like, he's, you know, listening to Ace of Base in his headphones. Ace
0: of (laughs) Base. No,
2: probably Shania Shania Twain. It's probably Shania Twain. Like, I feel like a woman, like, cranked to 11. (laughs) That's why I can't hear anything.
1: (laughs) He's like, why are you guys freaking out? I'm getting you there. Calm down. Please. Also, it's, it's this- a rowboat, not a speedboat.
0: <laughs> also, nobody talks about how one one got into one of those ships because, <laughs> goddamn,
2: we just everybody goes and stands on one side so he can climb up <laughs> from the other. No,
1: <laughs> like, he, go ahead. What we don't talk about is why the next episode they they're walking to Castle Black. Yeah, they don't. They don't <laughs> dirt the water all the way around to the Greenland, like, to the right. side where it's warm. Not to mention, we find out in, like, two seasons, there's a castle at the edge of the wall near the ocean. So, like, why are they on that side of the wall, and why are they walking? <laughs> like, what the fuck happened?
2: 1-1 one, one trying to get into the boats and he tipped them all over, and so now they're all having to walk.
1: <laughs> Every boat! He kept trying Every to bo- get into all boats like until
2: he tipped them all
0: over. Yeah. <laughs> God like, damn it, 1-1. One, one. Splash. God damn it, 1-1. One, one. Splash. Yeah, no, I can see that happening. Yeah, no, that was a weird thing, to, because the next episode, they're all standing in front of the wall, and Alistair Thorne's looking down all smugly, like, I'm not going to let you back in, back in, but he does. Because uh, he's a, you know, he had to stab him because he's a dick. Anyway, um, Hard Home was a fun episode, and here's what we're going to do when this, when this podcast goes up tomorrow, on Wednesday... In the comments section, uh, if you're listening, I want you to please uh, let us know which episode you want us to review and recap next, and if there's a particular topic about the episode you feel strongly about and you want us to hit on, let us know there too. Um, what we'll do is we'll uh, we'll gather all the suggestions from the comments, we'll put them in a poll, and next Monday you'll vote on who which episode you'll want us to watch. In two two
1: weeks from now, when we record take the black again give us give us something hard, yeah, like give yeah. us give us something, yeah, like i mean like reviewing I loved hard home, but like give us give us something that we really you know it would be a challenge and i, to, like, wouldn't really mind, I in would into.
0: not i would not mind some earlier seasons like uh, some twos or threes, even one is fine, let's get into some really nuanced political maneuvering, that kind of yeah. stuff. But, uh, either way, choose an episode, we'll talk about it on the next episode of Take the Black, along with whatever Season 8 filming news is happening. So, for myself, for Corey Smith, and Corey Thone, ISIS, we miss you, get better, we'll see you next time on Take the Black. V'lar